talk about Hey, y'all, welcome to another episode of The Dotted Line with your girl, Lacey. And this week's episode, I am excited to have my mommy back. Um, she was she did an episode with me on season one. So I'm excited to have you back, mom. Um, I just want to throw out a couple of disclaimers. So this episode is about abuse, right? So um, very heavy topic, but I do want to clarify that before we get into the topic that who she's talking about is my biological dad, right? Um, that did not raise me. So this is not the dad that raised me and that I call dad to this day. So I want to clarify that. Um, so mom, I kind of want to jump right in. So talking about abuse, right? What type of relationships did you see growing up? Growing up, um, I didn't really see a lot. I mean, my mom died when I was nine. Mm-hmm. So it was... Um, and and after that, my dad was real quiet and reserved. Mm-hmm. Um, he never said he loved us, but he mm-hmm. you know he did provide for us. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you know he always made sure we had food and clothes and things right. like that. And then after my mother died, my older sister went to stay with my grandmother mm-hmm. in Abilene. So we never really got a chance to see her much. Mm-hmm. And my brother was also very quiet and stayed to himself. Mm-hmm. So my mother's death really affected us all in different ways. Right. And never really got close. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. we still talk, but we're not, you know, like just really close as brothers and sisters, I think, should be. So we as we got older, we just we became a little more distant. Right. Right. Because I think like the relationships like growing up with you, like you weren't as reserved. You're definitely um, once you get to know you, you're definitely a fun person and funny to be around and a jokester and everything like that. But also, when growing up, like I remember even seeing cousins and stuff like that once a year during the holidays, right? So it was kind of, you know, we were a little bit closer than y'all were, right? But outside of going to go see them on, you know, Thanksgiving and stuff like that, I really didn't see anybody um, from the family. So that's funny how your generation, how you were grew up, and then how it translates to like my generation. So the relationships that you saw, seeing those relationships, how did that impact you with the men that you dated? Um, I never felt that I was loved. Mm-hmm. I never really got close to so I could protect my heart. Mm-hmm. And in high school, I remember I dated a basketball player that was very abusive. Mm. And when we would talk on the phone, his mother would always call me a Jezebel. What? Yeah. And it was... Uh, and he was very possessive. And in school, I remember, you know, like walking down the hall with my friends and stuff. And he was mm-hmm. like, if I was be with a friend, he would like come over there and walk me himself. It's like he never really let me have my own relationships in high school. He was always wow. wanting to be the one to do everything. So isn't a Jezebel the same thing as saying someone is like a lady of the night, I guess? Yeah. Nice way to say that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they thought, I mean... Wow. That's okay. So then you having that relationship just in high school, then, then that probably did impact you later on in life. Cause high school is like where you find yourself, right? The people that you date, 
you find yourself kind of maybe find out what you don't like, you you do like, but that's like the starting point, right? That's when you really get into your first relationships. So how did you meet LC and what attracted you to him? Uh, I met him uh, at work at uh, a company called Riff Griffin. Mm-hmm. And uh, I worked in the front office and he worked in, in the back. He was a diesel mechanic. Mm-hmm. And I would see him in the break room. And one day he came up to me and asked me if I was married and if Mm -hmm. I was, if I was happily married. Oh. And I told him I was recently divorced and he just, he just paid me a lot of attention. Mm. That was not, I wasn't used to that. Right. And so, you know, but I never thought the relationship would turn out the way it did. Right. Right. But it's because in the beginning, being super nice. And I feel like I can relate to that too, because I was dating um, a person and they were super nice um, in the beginning. I actually met them at a club, unfortunately. So that was probably to tell you right there, I shouldn't have been meeting this person in a club, but (laughs) met him in the club and everything. And he was really nice. I mean, would check on me. Hey, did you make it back from the club and this, that, and the third? And I was like, man, you know, obviously I have a certain type and that didn't work. So Mm -hmm. let me kind of try to do something else. Maybe, you know, maybe it's me because I have this particular type and obviously it didn't end well either, but I think that's where people are able to get in because they see those that you're vulnerable. Right. And they see like that little entryway and it's like, okay, if I just do this, then I can kind of win her over. Um, so you met him and y'all worked together. And then how did that transpire? Like when did abuse start? Well, I ended up moving off with him, uh, and when we moved in together, mm-hmm. that's when he kind of started being abusive and stuff. That's when I noticed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So okay. long that, you know, we moved in and everything. Mm-hmm. So it just went from him being nice and then paying on you all this attention. And then y'all move in. It's like, bam, like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to really show you who I am because now we live together. Right. Wow. I mean, mm-hmm. that you just don't think of that change that quick. You know what I mean? Like you just, you meet somebody you like them, you get involved with them. And obviously you think it's, it's pretty important if you move with somebody, right? You're sharing living quarters. So to get with them and it just, it changes that quickly. I mean, I I know that probably had to be hard to come to that realization. Like, okay, where did this come from? Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. you weren't like this. So abuse happened. Um, Did you have anybody to talk to or or whatever about the abuse? Uh, No, I really didn't because, uh, after I'd gotten down there and everything, I was more of anything ashamed and embarrassed mm. to tell anyone about it. So I just kept it quiet. You know, I kept it to myself. And at that point, I just always thought, okay, you've made your bed. Now you got to lie in it. So why do you feel like you were embarrassed to talk about that? Is that, is that kind of like the age that y'all were in? Like abuse was kind of something that you kept quiet or? And, and just being fearful, scared. And, okay. And not- so, uh-huh. and, and just feeling like, you know, well, I don't want to get my parents involved or anything like mm. this. You know, I've made this decision and now I've got to try to try to you know deal with it. So that's kind of where the alienation started. Right. Like if you're already feeling you already grew up in a home, in an environment that you felt like you weren't close anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. Because you had childhood trauma and things of that nature. So now you're with someone and you're in an abusive relationship and you're scared and mm-hmm. you don't feel that you have anybody to talk to, let alone you've made this decision to get up and move. So what am I supposed to do? Like who, who's going to help me? Even if I, if I do tell, like, what is, what are going to be the repercussions? Like for me, um, 
So let me ask you this. So you didn't have anybody to talk to. Did it get better when you had me or did the abuse get worse? Um, it's, it's, it basically stayed the same. Stayed the same. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And did you think like being pregnant, maybe it would change? Like, did you think that, okay, hey, like this will change. Maybe this will, you know, get him a new mindset because he has a baby on the way and things like that? Yes. I, I thought that it would, but it didn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So what was the breaking point where you felt like, hey, I got to leave? Uh, because one night he came home mm-hmm. and he uh, took me to the back bedroom and he pulled out a, a, a gun and a knife, put the knife to my throat mm. and told me that he would cut, you know, I'll cut your throat. I'll shoot you, you know. Uh, that was when I felt like, OK, Lord, at this point. He gonna have to kill me because I, I'm tired of living like this. That's how I felt. So when he did that, I told him I said, "Well, you just have to shoot me because I'm fixing to run." So I got up. I didn't have any shoes or anything, and I ran over across the street to the neighbor's house. Mm-hmm. And she she was a fireman, and just so happened she was off that mm. day. So I went over there, and she told me to come in. And I came in, and I told her what had happened and everything. And she said, "Well, you just stay here." She said, it, "It'll be okay." So then he came to her house and uh, he told her, he said, well, you need to tell her she need to have her stuff out. He said, I'm going to go down to the store. And when I come back, she better be gone. All the stuff and everything, she better be gone. So it was like, he was, he wasn't denying it. He was just like, okay, well, she want to leave. So, you know, I'm going to, was it an argument that like ensued before he pulled you back into the bedroom and did that? Or was Uh, it just, it's like, he just came home and he was in a bad mood. I was laying on the Mm. couch. He just, you know, just, just went off, you know, like that. So, I mean, you had no, obviously no idea. So it's kind of like being on eggshells around right. somebody because you don't know how they're going to react. You don't know what side of a person you're going to get. Um, you don't know any of that. And I feel mm-hmm. like I can relate to that as well because, like I said, that same individual I was in a relationship with, like he, he started off nice, the same mm-hmm. thing. And we he started living with me and things like that. And it was like a switch, mm-hmm. right? And I was thinking, in my, I remember thinking in my head, like, isn't this ironic that I'm dating someone that's similar to my biological dad that I was never raised with, right? Because usually they say you date somebody like your dad, right? That's that's an old saying. I was like, but I wasn't even raised like him. Like I was I wasn't even raised by him. I like what do, what do you mean? And it it does get to that point where you're just kind of like, okay, well, like I'm ready to risk it all at this point because mm-hmm. I'm not gonna yeah. be um I'm not going to be mistreated in this way. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, it definitely makes you feel like that. So you got to that breaking point, you got your stuff. And I mean, what, what happens next? Like what, what happened? Okay. After I, I got everything in, in the, in, in, in the lady across the street, she helped me get stuff. Mm-hmm. I got everything. And I had, um, at the time um, I had a rental car mm-hmm. because when, when I was in the hospital, having you, he sold my car. So I didn't have a car. So I, I get, yeah, I got a rental car. So I got the car and, and I uh, put my clothes and everything in there. And I went and stayed with a friend. I called her and she, she said, sure, come on over. She was so, so nice to me. And I, I will always remember her. Mm-hmm. And she allowed me to stay there with her and mm-hmm. her husband. Mm-hmm. So I went over there and then I would leave from there in the morning and go to work every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it was kind of like you had, I guess, adjusted and assimilated, like, okay, hey, I'm, 
staying over here. I'm just trying to get my ducks in a row so I can kind of get my mm-hmm. own place or whatever. And so right. you had had me. So at this point, how old was I? Uh, at the time, you were 18 months. Okay, so a year and a half. So still mm-hmm. a baby. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then what happened that particular day? So you didn't did all this, you didn't move, you didn't got assimilated, you're, hey, I'm forging forward, I'm going to go ahead and try to make um, make the best life I can for me and my daughter and be a single parent. So what happened that day? Right. Okay, so um, I worked for this insurance company mm-hmm. and um, I was a mail clerk. And mm-hmm. so that's, you know, I distribute the mail and everything. So I was sitting at the table, sorting the mail. And I look up and he was there standing beside me. Mm. And the first thing in my mind, all I thought is that I've got to get him out of here because he's going to make me lose my job. Yeah. So there was a stairwell and we stood in the stairwell for about 30 minutes. Now, at the time, you were with his mother. Okay. And so um, I had packed up some clothes and I told him, I said, I want to send these clothes so uh, she'll have some clothes to wear and stuff because, you know, to have some clothes. And so he he sit there and he said, well, you don't have to worry about that. Mm. Said, what do you mean I don't have to worry about it? He said, you don't have to ever worry about seeing, seeing her again. And I, I looked at him strangely and we stood in the stairwell for about 30 minutes. And, we t- you know, he talked and I noticed that he had on dark glasses, sunglasses. Mm. And he always he kept his he had on a leather jacket and he kept his hand just crotched down. In, in his pants. Mm-hmm. And I kept looking at him. I thought, why has he got his hand like that? You know, but he kept talking and everything. And then finally I told him, I said, look, I said, I've got to go back in here to work. I said, you know, I, I have to go back in here to work. Mm-hmm. So when I said that, I opened up the door to the stairwell to go back into the office mm-hmm. and pulled out a nine millimeter and shot me in my chest, in the left, left chest. Wow. And, and when he did that, it was just so weird because I, I looked at him. I, I was at first I couldn't believe. And then I looked at him and I thought, Cynthia, you're supposed to fall down. That's the way they do in the movie. You're supposed to fall down. And you know, when people get right. shot, you right. and I just remember it burning so bad. Oh, it was burning so bad. And so I was actually trying to run after him, but I, I couldn't go anywhere. My body just wouldn't let me. Mm-hmm. He pulled the gun and shot it, tried to shoot it again. But the gun jammed mm. so he didn't get a chance to shoot me. And so at that time, all the people that worked in there, they started running out because they heard this noise. They didn't know what was going on. So they yeah. ran out. And so as they ran out, he just walked, turned around. He didn't run or anything. He just walked out, got in his car and drove off. Like Freddy Krueger, because that's how they do off in the scary movies. He, he wasn't like he wasn't even, you know, it was like, OK, I done done it. Now I'm done what I'm supposed to do. Now I'm fixing to leave. And he did. Mm hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. So this whole time this happens, you're in shock and mm-hmm. you're just like, okay, like I cannot believe I'm getting shot um, or I've gotten shot. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm assuming obviously you get help, right. They call them, they finally, someone yeah, they call and everything. So how, I mean, how was that them find like finding you if everybody walked out or ran mm-hmm. out, they, no, just... they, they ran out in the stairwell while where I was. Oh, okay, and I got you. They ran and they all stopped, you know, and so they called the ambulance and everything. And had and and, and like there was a couple of guys who was trying to run out, and and they were and some they were telling them no because you don't know what he had, you know, he may try mm-hmm. to shoot you. So mm-hmm. they, they they called the, the police and everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you go to the to the hospital, and I mean, what's the prognosis at that point? Like, what are they saying? Uh, well, I just it, it was 
it was a clean shot because it, it went in my chest and it came out the back. So that was mm-hmm. a good thing. It didn't stay in there enough, but it did shatter. It shattered in, in, in my lung and stuff. So I have partial lung in, uh, on the left side. And so it did, it did shatter it and stuff. But, uh, you know, I'm still here today. So I'm really grateful. Wow. I mean, but God, honestly, you know, because, mm-hmm. I mean, what he thought he was going to do with, you know, saying, hey, you don't have to worry about Lacey or whatever like that. Like, I have this. Like, he thought that was going to be the end. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that that just goes to show you that, you know, you were supposed to be here and you were supposed to do some right in the world. So that all happens. You're in the hospital, you know, and then how do you, I mean, how does this story change from something so tragic to, you know, where you're able to kind of get to a point where you think you can kind of start moving on? What happened? Well, after that, I mean, I stayed in the hospital for like two weeks. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I had had to do two surgeries on me. Uh, The first surgery they did, I still had like a piece of bone sticking out of my chest. So they had to go back in and redo that again. And they did. Now, during this time, uh, I remember uh, I was in the hospital, like say for two weeks. And uh, I remember my stepmom telling, telling the doctors and stuff, and even telling his mom that uh, we, you know, we think that she'll, that she'll make it if she gets to see her daughter, because it was Mm. touch and go. They didn't know if I was going to make it or not. So, Mm. uh, she had called his mother and asked her, say, well, we'll pay for it, but just can you just put her on the plane and we'll pay for it? And his mother rep- replied, I wouldn't ship a dog on a plane. Mm. It would, you know, she wouldn't do it. So, uh, like I say, I finally got out of the hospital. And when I did, uh, at that point, I still didn't have you because his mother still had you. Mm-hmm. So I was just going crazy because I was thinking, oh, my God, I, I, I've got to get my baby back. i got to get my baby back. So I ended up going to... Uh, court uh and i got uh what they call a halius corpus where i could go and get you mm-hmm. so uh, i got on the plane by myself i had lost so much weight and i still had staples in my back and i got on that plane and went down to odessa texas to the sheriff's department and his mom and sister and uh his nephew were there mm-hmm. and they had you so i got you and uh, I was very scared. And so I asked the sheriff to walk me out to the, to the taxi. And he did. Mm-hmm. I got in the taxi and came, you know, got to the airport and came back with you. I was very scared the whole time I was at the, at the right. airport. Right. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if they're going to do something to me or whatever. But I was able to get you back home. And, and during that time, before I got you, I remember telling my stepmom, I, I told her, I said, if, and it was right before Christmas. And I said, if I don't get Lacey back, I said, I don't have a reason to live. I said, I, mm. I can't live like that. And it's like God answered my prayer. Oh, you're making me cry. Um, yep. That's what allowed me to go on. Yes. I think for me, being a parent, being a mom, I can't imagine going through that and then still having to be strong for your child. Yeah. 
You know, we all go through things and we all have, you know, traumas and stuff like that. But to go on and still raise a child is just, I mean, yeah, that's probably one of the hardest things to have to do as, as a mom and know that somebody that you once trusted and had a child with, obviously, right? Like you, right. at some point you, you, you love this, this, this person to be able to have a child with and someone to not only betray that trust, but also make it to where you have to do it on your own now, you know, cause you don't have kids with people thinking you're going to be a single parent. Like nobody walks into that thinking that's going to happen. Right. So, I mean, I honestly, I, I commend you for being able to, to do that. Mm-hmm. So in getting me back and, mm-hmm. you know, getting to a place of like, Hey, I got to do this on my own. Um, how did you move on? How did you heal? I mean, do, did you have triggers? I mean, do you still have triggers that made you scared or on the edge? Uh, yeah. After everything happened, I was afraid to go back to work. Uh, and, I, and I did go to work, try to work. But every time, like, the door would open, it would just scare me. Mm. And I thought, I, I can't work here anymore. So mm-hmm. after all that happened, uh, I just ended up quitting my job. Mm. And then I moved to Denton, and that's where I started going to school at. So did you have any, like you quit your job, did you have any plan? Or are you just like, hey, I got to, <laughs> like, I got to get out of here? Uh, well, after I quit my job, I came and stayed with my stepmom for a little bit. Uh-huh. And uh, she was talking to me, and she said, well, she said, you may want to start, you know, try to take some classes or something, you know. Right. And I thought, well, I don't have anything to lose. Right. <laughs> so uh, I ended up... Uh, Working at the college uh, at TWU, I ended up working there, and I and I started out like working like um, I ended up started full time and started taking classes part time. Right. But then it got to where I, you know, I ended up getting an apartment and everything. It was like, well, I can't afford to stay here if I can't do this, you know. So they were just so nice to me, and they ended up giving me a. Uh, well, no, I was going to school full time at first, and then I had to cut back because I said I can't do that and work part time. I got to work full time. So they ended up finding me a job uh, working there, and I worked in the financial aid office. So mm-hmm. I worked there full time, and they even allowed me to take one class during the day. And oh so, wow! And so the rest of the classes I would take at night, you know. But mm-hmm. they allowed me to take one class during the day while I was at work. Right. And so I was able to do that and. And I just, uh, the whole time, like I say, the only reason I was doing any of that, because I, I could have been dead a long time ago, but the mm-hmm. only reason was because of you. Because I said, mm-hmm. you know, I said, this child did, didn't ask to be born. And I just can't, you know, I, I just can't give up. I got to do whatever I can to get her grown and gone. You know, I got to do mm-hmm. it, you know. So that was, and, and that was one of the triggers that helped me to this day to like finish school. Because it was like so many times I wanted to quit. And I thought, oh, if you quit, you know, what are you going to do? You know, you got to, you know, you got to raise your child. You can't, you know, you just can't quit. So it took me nine years to finish school. But, you finish? I, but I finished, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. you finished. So, I mean, how do you feel like, you know, this relationship impacted your life? It's made me very, um, I guess, not really standoffish, but very quiet. Mm-hmm. Very, you know, I, I don't, I don't take I mean I don't I don't have very many friends mm-hmm. uh, and the ones I do consider as friends they don't even live close to me we just right. know, talk on the phone or something but I don't get close to people a lot I, I 
I don't let my heart get too close to somebody because I just feel like I've lost so much that mm. if close to people, then, then if I lose them, then it's going to be another hit for me. And I, I just don't feel like at this age, I can take that. So I just keep my distance, you know, and, you know, and I mean that, that kind of says too what you said in the beginning is that you already had this detachment from people because of the loss of your mom. So mm -hmm. to then come about and you get into this type of relationship and you have that type of trauma that, that will make you more to yourself and, and be a little bit detached because I mean, that's, that's a lot to go through in one lifetime, right? People usually don't go through that type of loss on, you know, both ends of the spectrum with a parent and then with a, with a partner. Mm -hmm. So how do you feel like that impacted your life, but how do you feel like that impacted like your future relations after that, even with parenting? Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, it just, it just made, you know, I think it impacted me with that because I'm not very affectionate. Mm. You know, I don't, you know, like I say, growing up, even raising you, I was mm -hmm. never an affectionate person. You know, right. I love you, but those I do, but it was like, I, I never showed love. You know, there's mm -hmm. so many, you know, you have to show love and you have to do love and be love, you know? Right. But it was like, it was always been hard for me to show it, to actually, you know, go up to you. Oh, I love, you know, it, it that's just never been me. You right. know, and I, that had a, a part of my upbringing too, as well. Not being yeah. Because I, I definitely I can attest that because I do feel like when I was younger, it was more of like, you know, you'd see other people because, you know, when you're a child, like anything yeah. that anybody else does, you think, why is my mom not doing that? You know, yeah. type of thing. And so it was like, my mom doesn't do that. Like, why is my mom not doing that? And as I've gotten older, obviously, I'm very affectionate, <laughs> like the complete opposite. I will hug on you and hug on my kids, you know, more than probably they'd be like, OK, like, mom, like, stop. But. <laughs> Um, that shows that going through something like that as traumatic as that, it will change you as a person. Because who who would have known who, what kind of person you would have been if this wouldn't have happened, right? Maybe you wouldn't have been like that, you know? Mm -hmm. But going through that type of loss, like I said, so much in a lifetime is just, it's, it's a lot. So mm -hmm. what advice would you give to people, young women and men? Because, you know, abuse can go both ways between genders. Um, what kind of advice would you give them about, um, being in an abusive relationship and that when a person shows you who they are believe them and we have to realize we can't change who a person is mm, yeah and that hurt people they hurt people yeah because that's they know and I would say when getting into a serious relationship always do your research yeah get to know your family you know mm -hmm. and, and and check them out you know and get your family to check them out you know right. get them around your family as well and an abusive person always wants to eliminate you from your family and friends. Yeah, they do. They, mm -hmm. they, they want to eliminate you. And if you start to see yourself changing and it's not for the good, then that's a true indication that something is seriously wrong. And yeah. we should change our beliefs, you know, yeah. for any, you know, a compromise, what we truly know is right to right for us. No, I agree with that. I definitely agree with that. Obviously my, um, situation with someone I dated wasn't as traumatic as yours, but I do know that being in an abusive relationship, you get isolated. I mean, it went from me and you, you know, you can test this, me and you would be hanging yeah. out and then you wouldn't see me and mm -hmm. I wouldn't answer the phone or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Like you would either have to come by to put eyes on me or like, Hey, mm -hmm. let me drive by, see if her car's there. Like what's going on? Because they do, they kind of, they, 
manipulate you and perpetuate this reality that you think my family doesn't care about me. I'm the only one that cares about you. Mm -hmm. Right. And Mm -hmm. so you're thinking like, Oh, my parents don't care about me. I don't need to deal with them anyway. Like he's the only person I need. And at that time that may, in fact, it could have some truth to it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because on the opposite side, you know, parents and things like that, they see that kind of stuff and they're going to try to get you out. And it's Mm -hmm. like, they're going to be telling you the opposite of what you think that you should be doing, right? They're going to tell you, right. Mm -hmm. So they do isolate you and make you, you know, more quiet, more reserved. Okay. I'm Mm -hmm. just, I'm going to check in with him all the time. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to hang out with my friends. I have, I used to have plans with people. Hey, we're going to go out and I'd be canceling. I got met. I'd be thinking like, okay, cool. Like I'll tell him about my little plans. And then it gets to the day. Well, now you're not going to go out to that club. Like what you going to a club for, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm up here canceling. Right. Mm-hmm. So I want to, I, I really want to say number one is that, you know, being in that abusive relationship, obviously, you know, everyone's story is different, right? There are people that can get out. There are people that have not gotten out successfully. Right. So I don't want to perpetuate that either to say, okay, you know, you can get out because everybody's situation is different, right? I'm always going to advocate for getting out, but I'm not going to judge if you can't get out, right? Because okay. that may, there's not only is there physical abuse, but then there's financial abuse, right? Mm-hmm. Um, someone taking a hold of the finances and, mm-hmm. you know, they pretty much have a chokehold on you. You can't go anywhere. You can't do anything because you don't have any finances to do so, right? Yeah. So that's a form of abuse, right? Mm-hmm. Um Verbal abuse, emotional abuse, right? Mm -hmm. Calling somebody stupid all the time. You so stupid and then you beat it into their head that they start thinking that I'm Mm -hmm. not worthy. I'm not, you know, I don't deserve this. I don't, you know, I I want this, but I don't deserve it. You know what I'm saying? I'm lucky enough to be with this person that's Mm -hmm. putting his hands on me or whatever type of abuse that anyone's experiencing. So I would just say more than anything is that you really have to know who you are before you get into a relationship. If you don't know who you are, if you don't know what you stand for, if you don't know your non-negotiables of things you won't deal with, mm-hmm. anybody can come through and they can change your perception of anything. Right. And now you've turned into a person that you may mm-hmm. not even know, your mm-hmm. family don't doesn't recognize, right? Mm-hmm. So you really, before you get into that relationship, it may sound all good because I've been in relationships that weren't that long. And people be looking mm-hmm. at me like crazy, like, girl, mm-hmm. you got with him and you did this and da 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 and, um, you know, you you go off of feelings at, at the moment. Mm-hmm. It's temporary. Right. right? Mm-hmm. But you don't know who you are. Right. You don't. I mean, I and I can attest to that myself. Mm-hmm. I didn't know who I was being in my early 20s. I didn't know. Like, I just thought this is this is what you're, everybody else is in a relationship. This is what I'm mm-hmm. supposed to be doing. You know, right. he, he says he cares about me and he's the only one paying attention to me. So that has to be true. And that's mm-hmm. not true. I think had I would have known who I was beforehand. I wouldn't stand for, like, I wouldn't even entertain that conversation. It wouldn't even got, Hey, let me get your number. Let's hang it. Right. That wouldn't even been something on my radar. Like, no, you, you look mm-hmm. like trouble is what I, you know, now right. I, I can honestly say. So that would be my biggest piece of advice um, to anyone in an abusive relationship and going through things and they don't know how to get out. I also want to say as well, that mom, that going through what she went through and to be able to come out on the other side, I mean, it's phenomenal. Because you don't, like the old people say, right? You don't look like what you've been through, right? So where people perceive you to be standoffish, bougie, she doesn't talk She doesn't talk to anybody. They don't know what you've been through, right? Mm-hmm. So I would just say, too, don't judge a book by its cover, right? But also giving you your kudos that you were able to come out from that and get a degree, right? 
and and make something successful of yourself and be a homeowner and do all these accolades that people look to do, right? Just the American dream, right? So I want to give you those kudos because that's, I mean, a lot of people, you know, statistically, they don't make it out like that. They could be on drugs. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people end up getting CPS involved and things like that, you know, whether it's their fault or not, you know, just so much dealing with that trauma and you were able to take that trauma and still make something of yourself and honestly make me who I am today. So I appreciate you and I love you. And I thank you for that because um, that's phenomenal that, that you were able to come out of that and um, not, not be that person. Cause I feel like going through that type of abuse, like people just, you know, they beat that into your head. You're nothing, you're this, you're that. And you tend to sometimes think that. So mm-hmm. for you to come out of that and I mean, you know, be who you are today is just phenomenal. So I appreciate you and I love you for that. So something on light note, because you didn't have me cry today. And you know, I don't, I'm too much of a G. I don't, I don't cry like that, you know. But I do a segment called story time. And so I like to have like a light mood, right? To end off. Um, so I have two stories, right? Because I don't get to have you on the podcast. So the first one, keeping the theme of abuse, right? So I was, like I was saying before, I was with this uh, young person, uh, this young gentleman, and I met him at a club. And, um, you know, it's, it's dark. I had Patron shots. You know, Patron used to be my thing, right? I would not <laughs> have Patron now. It used to be my thing. We drink Patron shots or whatever like that. And this guy comes up behind me and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I'm like, he he kind of looked like Soldier Boy. Google Soldier Boy, mom, when you get off here, because I know you don't know who that is. So Google him. So I'm in in my head, Soldier Boy wouldn't even be my type anyway. So I don't even know why I even thought that was a thing, right? So he gets my number and I'm, I'm with some friends for their 21st birthday. We went down to Louisiana or whatever like that. And we stayed in the hotel and he's texting, oh, did you make it back? You know, and I'm like, oh man, like he just really trying to check for me, right? Okay, cool. Um, drive back to Dallas. He's still checking for me, right? Okay, cool. This seemed like a night, you know, he and my type, but like my type then got me into some trouble. So I'm going to kind of open the door a little bit, right? So um, that was like in January, like end of January. So we're still talking. Um, he said that he was a, a, a surgical tech. Now he told me, mind you, he said, okay, um, I'm a surgical tech. I go to work at night. You know, I work like the 10 to six shift or whatever like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would get off the phone like he really had to go to work. And sometimes he texts me like, you know, to, oh yeah, I have a little lunch break, whatever like that, right? So I'm like, oh man, like he established because I didn't have a degree at the time. I'm not established, right? So he comes and visits me uh, Valentine's Day weekend, right? So he's supposed to come visit me and we're like, oh yeah, I'm just so glad you're here. Let's go get tattoos. So we go get tattoos and he said his name was a certain name and we go to the tattoo shop and he says his name is something else. So that should have been my sign to know maybe this ain't who you need to be with. Cause he's switching names. Like, are you a Russian spy? Like, are you part of the CIA? What is going on? But lo and behold, you know, even if I had that second thought, I go to my mother's house people and I go to my mom's house and I said, mom, you know, look, and you said, why did you get that on you? Just like that. Cause you know, when you talk, you get mad, you know, why did, I was like, mom, we're in love. And he was like, I guess, like, <laughs> okay, like, why would you do that? So lo and behold, he, you know, supposed to leave. And this man does not leave because he don't have no job. He didn't catfish mm-hmm. me before it was catfishing, right? So he didn't have no job. He didn't have nowhere to stay. His friends had booked him a ticket 
to get down here. So they was like, man, that's all we got to do. Like, you know, tough cookies. <laughs> so that there in its whole um, right there should have told me like, this is not the right person. Like you already lying, but I'm thinking, okay, we can make something of ourselves. You know, we could start mm-hmm. from the bottom, you know, grow up or whatever like that. And obviously it didn't turn out well, right? Didn't end up making it a lot of, you know, drama and things that happened in between. But um, it's funny now, because when I think of it, obviously I ended up having to get the tattoo covered and <laughs> it's on my wrist, right? I have a small wrist and I had to get this big old flower on here. Now I'm 35 now. <laughs> I don't need this big flower on here. My kids be asking me, mom, what is that? A mistake. Stop asking me about it. Let me put this Apple watch over it and cover it up like it didn't happen. You know? So now I can actually take that pain from getting the tattoo and the stupidity of that. Right. And make it a joke and it'd be funny. But at the time I was like, oh, we finna be together forever. I swear getting that tattoo was like the actual like nail in the coffin to let you know that stuff ain't gonna work out because if you with somebody you know you shouldn't have you don't have to brand yourself right mm-hmm. now to, to each its own right I don't judge mm-hmm. anybody that that does that but now I would never get a tattoo of me mm-hmm. and my husband right like we married we got a marriage certificate we got credit we got all this other stuff we don't need all that look now you know I love you don't you you know <laughs> so um the other story I want to say, because I think this is hilarious, is when mom, you walked into the party. My mother, y'all, it was a it was a little dance party, a little Friday Night Live type of thing at the little community center. Right. And my mom said, OK, you know, yeah, you can go, but you got to be out there outside waiting for me by 10 o'clock. I think the party probably ended at like 11. So, you know, I'm kind of mad, like, mom, everybody else going to be leaving at 11. Well, I'm coming to get you at um, 10 o'clock. So be out there. So we in there dancing. That's when you, I don't, what did it used to be called? Cause now it's called twerk. I don't remember what it used to be called, but basically the same concept of twerking. You know, you'd learn how to do your little twerk dance. You dancing on your little boo, whatever. So I'm like, all right, cool. Mind you, no cell phones back then. So you got to look at the clock on the wall. Okay. I see the hand and hit 10. All right. It's time for me to jet out here or whatever. So I go outside and my mama is not out here. Y'all. She not out here. Did y'all hear me? She's not out here. So my mom sits up here and I'm like, okay, cool. Like she's not out here. Okay. I got a little, you know, they was playing the last of my little song. Right. So I can probably go back in here and give me a little slow twerk real quick. So the actual chaperone was like, okay, Hey, you can't be out here. Cause it's dark. Like we're not going to be liable, whatever like that. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to go back in here and get my little dance on anyway. Lo and behold, time then went by and my mama then walked in here with rollers, a robe, Lacey, Lacey, I said, what is going on? I had a cousin at the time. He dancing on somebody. He didn't jump off the girl because he don't want to get caught. Oh, this ain't sick. Oh, my God. No. Right. So my mama, I never forget this because I got in the car. Well, Lacey, you wasn't out there. I told you to be out there at 10 o'clock. And, you know, you couldn't talk back at that time. Right. Because if I would have said, well, technically I was out there at 10 o'clock. You see? I was out there at 10 o'clock and y'all were not, you weren't out there, right? So she yelling at me, Lacey, um, you know, you wasn't out there. I had to come off in there. I wasn't planning to go off in there. You should have been outside. And I'm just sitting there like, man, you know, you wasn't here at no 10 o'clock while you trying to yell at me. Like you, come on now, Sledge, come on. Okay. So 
I leave y'all with that because I always think that there is laughter and pain. So I hope that you laughed through my stories and they're real true life stories. So I definitely hope that you laugh through them. And mom, I thank you for being on this episode of The Dotted Line. I appreciate it. I love you. And I really hope that listening to this episode that y'all can gather something from it that, you know, there's, there's, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel that you can make it out. All right, y'all. I'm going to catch you on the next episode of The Dotted Line. (laughs) 